You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and this week's episode is brought to you by our lovely sponsors, MailChimp and Audible. More than 6 million people use MailChimp to design and send email marketing campaigns. It's fast and easy and free to sign up. Join them today by heading over to MailChimp.com and getting a free account. Audible is the leading provider of premium audiobooks on the internet. With over 150,000 audiobooks in their library, you'll definitely find something that's just right for you. Head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash revision path and get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Now we're still in the middle of our fundraising drive for the month and you can help us reach our $200 goal. Join at the $5 per month level and get access to a weekly newsletter with behind the scenes information and a sneak preview of next week's episode. Or you can sponsor an upcoming episode for just $20. It's a really great way to put your business or your name out there in front of our dedicated audience. And we've got a lot of great interviews coming up, so you should definitely get on that. Just visit tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and pledge today. This week, I talked with Albert Whitley, Senior Art Director at Sapient Nitro and current Vice President of AIGA Atlanta. Here we go. Okay, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, Maurice. My name is Albert Whitley. I am a Senior Art Director here at Sapient Nitro in Atlanta, Georgia, and also currently Vice President for AIGA, the Professional Organization of Design, the Atlanta chapter for Atlanta. Nice. We'll talk about AIG in a minute, but tell us yeah. a little bit more about Sapient Nitro. Sure, that's definitely not a problem. Well, I don't know if many of our listeners know who Sapient Nitro is, but Sapient Nitro is a, is a new breed agency. We originally was rooted mostly in technology, and then eventually over the years, Sapient has acquired such wonderful agencies, whether in the advertising marketing space as well as traditional design and is now actually focusing most of their engagements in digital. So if there's anything regarding advertising, web design, app design, native application design, or uh, database implementations, or just a lot of uh, huge e-commerce websites and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, uh, we definitely do a lot of that type of work as well. So I've been with them for a little of three and a half years Joined them initially as a uh, consultant, uh, working with them on one of their clients, and we both liked each other and decided to go ahead and uh, become committed much longer as a full-time employee here. So I like it so far. It's a great company. I get to travel a lot. Went to China for, for a brief stint and uh, definitely nice. get a chance to work with a lot of Fortune 100 players. So if they're definitely truly a player in the boardroom, which is definitely important you know, in design. So I'm not seen as the designer who you know, who's not included in the meetings, the designer who's actually providing solutions for our clients to help mm-hmm. them solve their business needs. And you say you started with them just as a freelancer and then eventually the relationship, I guess you worked with them on a few projects and it was well enough where you could then become an employee. Is that how yes, it worked out? that is correct. Nice, yes, nice. That is correct. Yeah, because I freelance for about, well, I have my own practice and also freelance a little short thereafter uh, to get back into the workforce with quite a bit of uh, uh, digital agencies in, in Atlanta, as well as in New York and in L.A. And so just felt that it was the right time, the right opportunity, and just felt you know, just fell in uh, love with working with Sapien. So I uh, definitely love the company. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, man. 
So talk to me a little bit more about your involvement in the Atlanta design scene. I know you mentioned you're the vice president of the Atlanta chapter of AIGA. Yes. Um, I've been involved in the design community for quite some time. Ever since I was a student at the Art Institute of Atlanta, I actually went to two universities. I started from HBCU at Norfolk State University in Norfolk, Virginia, and then I transferred to the Art Institute uh, around October of 97. So right around that time when I transferred, just getting used to the school, trying to make connections, meet friends and that sort of thing, one of my former professors at the Art Institute introduced me to AIGA at the time. And then over since the years, as, as you know, when I finished school and started entering into my work career, decided to transition more into the professional side of things. So I've always been involved with AIGA as a member, just going, what well, first initially just going to a lot of the uh, events, that sort of thing, meeting a lot of designers, meeting a lot of different, you know, individuals in the, in, in the Atlanta area and in the field. And then from there, I decided to get more involved by participating in some of the uh, committee engagements with some of the events. And so then from there, it then prepared me to, to become a chair of one of the committees. I think at the time it was called professional development. Well, professional development, which we actually still have today. And then from there, I went into a membership. And then next thing you know, it transitioned over to this thing called diversity. So so I've been with AIJ for quite some time. And so I definitely understand a lot of what we're doing you know, in the community. And I definitely agree with a lot of what AIJ is doing on the national front, just so that we as designers have a voice out into the profession and industry so that uh, we are a viable force working with all the business partners that we have. Now, speaking of diversity, I know that a lot of people that I've talked with that I've interviewed sort of have very mixed reactions about AIGA as it relates to diversity on the local chapter level Mm -hmm. as well as on the national level. Uh, You and I are both in a Facebook group called Black Designers United. Yes, that's correct. And there's a there's a pretty somewhat spirited discussion going on in regards to AIG and diversity mm-hmm. and how much of a role should black designers play in terms of diversifying the industry. Should it be through AIGA? Should it be through their own sort of individual efforts? Focusing here on Atlanta, what are some of the things that the local AIGA chapter is doing to sort of help increased diversity, not just in their member ranks, I see. but like in the design profession overall. Sure. Well, let me just tell you a little about what we have done, and then I can kind of tell you some things that we're doing now. Well, when I first started as the um, diversity chair for Atlanta, it was actually started sometime around 2005 under Bill Grant. He was then the um, national president. He was actually my former boss from Grant Design Collaborative. And so Bill realized that I've always had a relationship with AIGA just from being a student to the professional. And so he asked me if this was something that I was interested in, and I told him yes. So I then became a part of the uh, task force and met with a lot of other chairpersons in other parts of the United States who also were charged and interested in the subject matter. So this discussion has happened for a very long time, and a lot of um, positive things that actually have come out of it. Are we? Is it something major? No. Is, are there small activities? Yes. So I think major things, it takes time for people to sort of buy into the idea. So what we've done since 2005 into today is that we have like a host of different types of um, events and opportunities that came out of it. One of the things that we did in Atlanta specifically is that we partnered with uh, Skills USA since 2007 for about three years, working with a lot of 
minority designers who were interested in the, the advertising and design industry. And so this was actually a partnership with a lot of different schools, high schools more specifically, who probably would have an instructor or teacher at that school who had some sort of introduction to graphic design, whether they were a, a print designer, whether they were an illustrator, a retired designer who's a teacher, or some person who's or some person who's always had some sort of interest in design, introduced those students into Skills USA. And so with Skills USA, they compete in all sorts of things. It's not just only in advertising design, but they also compete in things such as culinary arts, things such as in healthcare sectors, you know, if you're gonna become a paramedic, you know, what are some things that you have to do? So they're tested amongst these skills. And so what we did is that we actually created the exams for the competitions for both locally and on the national level. And then we actually sent those students up to Skills USA to compete internationally. And so, you know, we've actually donated money towards the cause to actually send those winning students from Atlanta to compete in the national competition. We've also, since then, I think in 2010, we came up with this uh, uh, exhibition called Design Journeys, where it's actually featured 25 renowned designers in the United States. And so you'll probably see a list of of well-known designers listed on, on uh, AIJ's website who've been recognized and contributed for their contributions in the industry. Uh, also in Atlanta, some of the things that we've done is that we've also included more sp- minority speakers in our, a lot of our presentations and that sort of thing. So we had one particular event called Design and Hip Hop a few years back where we had D.L. Warfield and then we had the uh, well-known artist W. He was also a uh, graphic designer too as well. And so we had them to do a talk about what it is they do as designers and a lot of the engagements they have with their clients at, you know, at the time. Then we also had another event called Colorblind. And so that was actually sort of our launch pad where we wanted to talk about the important issue of diversity. So it was a very touchy subject. Everyone really wanted to talk about it. We packed the house over at the, uh, I think it was Jimmy, yeah, the Jimmy Carter Center. Um, and we just had a really great conversation. We had panel members ranging from uh, Latina designers, Hispanic designers, African Americans, Caucasian designers, Indian designers. And then we also had one African-American female who sort of helped represent the women's perspective on design too as well. And so it was just a great conversation. And then from that, we actually had people who were interested to knowing more about what AIJ is doing. And since then, we've actually included more people on our board. So I'm not the only person on our board of color who's on our board. And so it's really important that we have other people of color as well to participate in all sorts of things with AIGA. So I don't want to be seen as a token black guy for diversity. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we recognize someone else who's great in design, who has an interest, say, for example, in sustainability. If they want to lead that and, they, and they're qualified, let's bring them to the fold. So since then, we brought in Don King, who just recently received her master's in sustainable practice. And so she's helped leading the charge with our chapter and with other chapters in the U.S., with a discussion on sustainability. So those are just some people that we've included. We've since then had people like uh, Vincent Scatliff, who was my successor in diversity, who decided to open this up to something much bigger. So not just only focusing on diversity, but also focus on other aspects of design in terms of mentoring and reaching out and helping others. And from our chapter, we also started this one program called Good Thinking, 
And so that particular program allows for uh, individuals who have nonprofits to be able to complete a submission. And if they complete the submission and we review the submission, then we do a a rally. And then once everything gets approved, and then we have designers, photographers, writers who actually help that nonprofit to create some sort of a campaign or give them the necessary tools in order to conduct their business. So those are a lot of different things that we've been doing. We've also, you know, reached out to a lot of schools. I know we, you know, Atlanta has probably one of the highest numbers of HBCUs here in Atlanta, but I always believe that it takes both sides to want to make this thing work together. So it's important for schools to reach out to us as well. So we definitely have programs available where an instructor or any faculty member or staff member in any institution reach out to us and we can help them start a student group within their school. Now, does the school necessarily have to have an art department or an art major of some sort in order for that to happen? It doesn't, it doesn't have to happen because it doesn't have to happen in that, in that sense. But, but because most of our members are comprised of those who are designers, most mm-hmm. often those are the ones we attract the most. But since AIJ has changed significantly over the past two years, our membership structure has changed where we've opened it up to business persons or people who are interested in the, the field of design but necessarily doesn't practice. So we've sort of taken on a museum model where we include those people to become a part of our organization. And you don't, it doesn't even cost you anything just to even join to be a member. As a student, it doesn't cost anything. As a student, as a professional. Today, you just oh, put nice. the AIJ website And you can sign up to become a friend and it's free. And you get the same communication I get as a paid member. The only difference is is that I believe in the organization. I've been with the organization for about eight years now. So I want to put my money to support an organization that believes in what I do as a professional. So you hear that people are listening. You can join AIGA for free. (laughs) That is correct. For free. For free. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the design journeys because I've um, actually interviewed a few people from that AIGA, I guess you could call it an exhibit of sorts. I talked yeah. with Maurice Wood, yes, Steve Maurice Jones, Wood. Mm-hmm. Michelle Washington, yes. Emery Douglas. Still trying to reach out to a few more people, but I know I've talked to them. So in terms of, I guess, since you say you know, you're putting your money where your mouth is, what are some things specifically that AIGA has done for you professionally that you don't think you would have gotten had you not joined? Well, AIGA has provided me a a network of opportunity to meet with other professionals. When I first got my job coming out of school and and into the design profession, networking with different professionals allowed me to have a name with a face. So when I submit my resume over to them, they actually know who Albert Whitley was you know, at the time. And so I've been able to get most of my freelance engagements through AIGA, just through personal connections and relationships. You know, they always say, you know, relationships mean mean more than the knowledge you just have. So I decided to go ahead and um, use that as a way to connect and as a way to, uh, you know, gain employment for myself or for my career. So it's definitely helped me in that regard. And then also, too, when I had my own business, I was able to use a lot of the resources that they've actually established. So they have this uh, book series out where it teaches you how to not necessarily start your own business, but it teaches you, provides information, and it's as a resource of the right things you need to be doing in terms of incorporating yourselves, in terms of understanding intellectual properties, just those basic things as a business owner to run a successful practice. That was important for me, too, as well. And then also it provides information in terms of how do I need to 
negotiate my salary? And what are some things I need to be considering as I grow in my career? Those types of tools and information is available to anyone and you don't have to be a member. And so I believe in that and I contribute to those surveys because it helps our profession grow as a whole. What skills do you think a designer needs today, like in 2014? What skills do they need? I think not only just coming with just the basic skill sets in terms of craft, if you're going to be a writer, writing well, showing work examples, I think what you need to have nowadays is more business intelligence, more business savvy, having a point of view, not being afraid, and then also having a lot of business etiquette. When I came out of school, I already had some of those experience because coming from a family of entrepreneurs, I've always been in the business arena. So working with a lot of junior designers today, I sometimes have to spend time sort of coaching them and mentoring them says, hey, look, this is how to use PowerPoint. This is how to use a Microsoft Word to, to document a report or write a report. Those tools are necessary in order for you to, to facilitate your job because you have to also realize that 80% of your job is going to be administrative tasks and you need to know how to do that well. But then also too, the other 20% is doing your job in terms of being a creative where you can spend time brainstorming. You can spend time creating that wonderful piece you know, for a client. So having those business skills and business tools is definitely necessary in today's market. And then also having an understanding of digital design is really important too. So as we all know, technology has become so far advanced. It's even moving much faster. We've moved from the computer to smartphones to tablets, now to watches, to all sorts of interesting things out there. So it's important that you sort of stay in touch with what's going on and just being true to what you really want to do in the profession. If you want to be a programmer, a developer, if you want to focus on presentation design, if you want to focus on just being a designer, focus on it and do it really well because we really want those individuals who have a really strong skill set at something that's remarkable and who can help solve problems. It adds to the diversity of an organization. So that's really important too. You mentioned that you started off at Norfolk State University and then eventually you ended up transferring to Art Institute of Atlanta. How was your time at Norfolk State and what made you want to make that switch here to Atlanta? Sure, I definitely enjoyed Norfolk State. When I graduated from high school, I did not know where I wanted to attend. Um, a lot of my friends were going off to a lot of prestigious universities and a few others went to some great HBCUs as well. And so because Norfolk State was closest to me, I decided, my parents decided to send me there and we all agreed that's where I should go. And so I met a lot of wonderful people there. I have a lot of great friendships with a lot of well-known artists and uh, photographers and sculptors, you know, and even designers from Norfolk State. So I, I've kind of missed some of the opportunities maybe like later on on the social scene, but mm-hmm. I come from my background in terms of education. I've always been a part of a black high school and then transferring over to an HBCU that was always similar to me. But when I decided to switch over to the Art Institute, it sort of opened my eyes up to diversity even more, just networking with people and learning about cultures and those things differently. So coming over the Art Institute really prepared me more in the sense of my professional world, um, understanding the practice and the business side of design. Norfolk State really prepared me to really understand the foundations, the fundamentals of design, you know, working with an illustrator on how to draw. I didn't even know how to draw when I went to art school. Working with an instructor uh, well, we had to understand form. So creating ceramics and creating three-dimensional objects out of uh, some sort of cast was really fascinating to me. And so I just learned a lot from that. And I was able to apply some of that design practice over into the Art Institute 
and really put it more in the context of commercial arts. So after you graduated from the Art Institute of Atlanta, tell me about your first like real design job. How was it and what did you learn from it? Yeah, my first real design job, actually I have a funny story. All right, so when I graduated from the Art Institute, my dad told me, he says, you have 30 days to find yourself a job because your mother are cutting you loose. And it's up to you to figure this thing out, right? So I was like, okay. So I was nervous and scared. So I actually found my first job. So my first job out of school was at Jones Worley Design. I mean, I worked with Cynthia Jones and Barry Worley at the time. And they were known for doing a lot of environmental and wayfinding for the Olympics. And so they were a minority supplier for doing a lot of the signage for the Olympics. And so when I joined Jones Worley in 2000, um, I worked up under Charles White. He's actually also a veteran executive creative director. He's no longer practicing, but I've just gained so much knowledge from him in terms of people that he's met, a lot of the design legends that you know he's worked with and his stories and experience with clients. So it was just fun just to kind of get his perspective. But then also working up under um, Cynthia, just sort of understanding her perspective as an African-American businesswoman, her approach to business. So it's not anything different than me working at Sapien today. It just happens to be in a different uh, arena. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot. I had an opportunity to work with a lot of celebrities, a lot of dignitaries, some of our civil rights leaders, just you know, uncovering a lot of history and putting it in context of design. It was just amazing just um, being over at Jones Worley. And now after that, of course, you worked at a few other places doing doing design. I transitioned from Jones Worley over to Grant Design Collaborative. And at Grant Design Collaborative, that's really where I really want to hone in more of my strategic craft. And so there, what was interesting about Grant is that their approach is almost similar to maybe a large design shop or organization. So we had these little teams. And so within these teams, you were all assigned accounts, which were more or less brands. And so your brands, you had to sort of figure out, all right, you were given this pool of money to work with for your different engagements on, on each account. But you had to sort of understand how to, one, allocate your budgets based on all the different programs and sort of help the client through the decision-making process in terms of which engagements to start on first in some sort of order. And then also just working with just a a lot of different uh, photographers and illustrators. And and then also what was fun about working over at Grant too is sort of honing my sense more into branded environments. And so we always did a lot of work at Neocon every year. And it was just fun going to Chicago and see how a showroom comes together. All the work and thought that you put into it for that entire year all comes together in June at this one big show where you're trying to showcase the latest and greatest of furniture or any sorts of products or goods that are selling to corporations or interior designers, that was a time to really shine. And it was just a lot of fun to see all that stuff come together. But then also, too, just to sort of see working with other individuals who not only practice design, but also love to create things on the site, too. So I met you know, a few of the designers there, too, who actually did pottery, who actually did screen printing, multimedia art. And so it was just a wealth of just creative energy coming from Grant. And then even as an entrepreneur, teaching me the skills on how to sort of manage a client, how to manage my time was very important. So it actually prepared me to transition from Grant to start my own practice for about five years. 
Now, you also taught as well, right? You taught design. Yes. So in between all this working, I also felt that necessarily to, to also teach design too. My mom and my dad are both educators. And so for me, I've always had this need to teach and give back in that sense. And so I really enjoyed teaching over at the Creative Circus. And I've also taught at Georgia State University too. So at both those schools, I taught brand design principles. And what does it really mean to apply brand design sensibilities across different deliverables and mediums, understanding your strategy, understanding the message, and then sort of giving them some real-world advice. I would actually invite some professionals to kind of come in and give them like a critique on their work just so they can get an outside perspective on what it is that they create. So they realize that everything that they're, they're creating for this course It's somewhat subjective, but there are some sort of objectives that you have to sort of qualify for, too. And so that was really necessary. So it just made me smile to sort of see those students today now into the workforce and that my contributions helped them and their success to be great designers. What do you think is the key to effective creative direction? Well, I think uh, it requires two things. I think one, it requires that you work as a problem solver because we are solving problems for businesses. It's important for us to sort of take those problems and sort of translate those into such a way that it connects with their end users or their customers. And so we definitely rally behind great ideas. We definitely rally behind brainstorming and collaborating together. So it's really important that as a creative director, you're able to problem solve and then take and then be able to sort of come up with a point of view to help your team come up with something great and interesting to put onto the marketplace. But then also, too, it's really important as a creative director that you're able to mentor your team, too, as well. Because, you know, we all get burned out from time to time, and it's important that we be honest in our evaluations, and we're also helping our people grow in the profession, too. Speaking of mentors, have you had any mentors that really helped you along the way? I know you talked about Bill Grant earlier. Yes, he's definitely one of my mentors. I mean, he's working under Bill, definitely helped me improve my skills to be an entrepreneur. Also, definitely my mom and my dad, both my parents have always been involved in business for, you know, for quite some time, from restaurants to bail bonding to taxi services. I mean, so it's just amazing to learn those things. And then also, too, one of my former professors, Nancy Rohrbaugh, she was always one of my biggest cheerleaders. She scared me to death when I first started school, but she really showed me that I had a raw gift and that she wanted to see me nurture it into something great to be a, a really strong designer. And I also have uh, my dear friend and colleague, Karen Austin. We've been in business for about five years together. So it was just great having a wonderful partnership with her. And just going after different engagements and learning about business together in the design field. So I have to ask, you had your own sort of design practice for five years. Why did you then, I guess, go to work for Sapien Nitro? Well, at the time, we were starting to hit a lot of the challenges of the falling economy. So a lot of our clients were in government. We also had clients in hospitality. And so a lot of those people weren't paying. And a lot of those people were cutting back their budgets. And and so we had a staff of 10 people. We decided to go ahead and wrap this thing out a little bit longer than we, we should have. And we took a risk. We took a gamble. And it was an amazing journey, an amazing ride. And I would totally do it all over again. I mean, so from that, we had a lot of learning lessons. And so it was just a wonderful experience, just a for myself to prove to myself that I have what it takes to run a business and that mm-hmm. re- regardless if I work with an organization, I can still bring those core 
things about Albert into an organization. I got you. So you say you had a staff of about 10 people. Yeah, we had a staff of about 10 people. We had uh, some designers. We had account executives, project managers, and we had staff uh, who also did some operations work too as well. Now, one thing that a lot of people sort of write in to us about, and these are particularly design entrepreneurs, is how do they grow their business or grow their agency from maybe one person to two person to, I guess, like what you had with about 10 people. Is it just about sort of finding the right clients that understand the value of design? How were you able to grow it to so many people? We were sort of, well, we were kind of lucky. We were somewhat strategic, but we also were lucky too as well. It was through our relationships with our clients that allow us to grow the size of our accounts. And so we realized one quickly, when we started with one of our engagements was with the Washington, D.C. Convention Center. And so when we went in and we worked with them, they really loved a lot of the work that we did. And they kept saying, well, we want you to take on a lot more of the work that our mainstream agency would take on, our agency of record. We said, sure, why not? Because we had the same skill set, the same chops to make it happen. So to grow it, I quickly recognized the types of people that we need to bring on staff. So Karen and I worked closely together. We had such a trusting relationship that allowed me to go out and hire contractors, hire temp personnel from different temp agencies to make it happen. And then from those relationships, we were able to help do a transition over to full-time employees. And so so that was a quite interesting journey. Then you had to, we had to sort of factor in all different things in, in order to run an organization. So we sort of ran this virtual office model. So you actually could work from home. So it helped keep our overhead costs down in terms of mm-hmm. physical space. Whenever we had to do most of our outputs and that sort of thing, we worked out of incubator offices to sort of pull those things together whenever we had to meet with clients. So we just kind of ran things lean in terms of our overhead costs so we can really focus most of what we need to have done is through our people because we knew that through our people is what makes the work great. Now, you've had a pretty prolific design career. What have been some of the high points of your career? Some of my high points, I would say, is for me, is travel, going over to China. just recently got back from Shanghai. So I was working with our design team out there, just working on the digital design. You know, what does digital design mean today and designing for it? And so it was just really amazing just to sit and work alongside them to understand their culture and how design is applied differently over there than it is over in the West. But then also, too, it was an exchange. They want to learn from me as much as I want to learn from them. And then also learning about some of their pioneer designers over there. We went to a couple exhibits and just saw some beautiful printed pieces, some beautiful experimental pieces, sculptures, those sorts of things, and see how it sort of translated over into the commercial aspects of things. And then also understanding the engagement of business over in China is a lot different over here. Understanding, you know, how the most senior person has allowed his voice and how I have to sort of support that. So it's just different. So I just had, a, that was one of the high points. And then also teaching was another high point, just learning from other designers, just learning from those who really have an interest in design to succeed mm-hmm. in design and, and succeed in our practice. So I really enjoyed that the most. And so I apply teaching whenever I'm working with clients just to kind of help them understand what is it that we're creating for them. And by me teaching allows me to articulate things in such a way where they grasp and say, ah, we got it. This makes a lot of sense. And so another aspect of things that I also love about design is a sense of community that I know I have people that I can reach out to. So those things have always been helpful for me to be successful today as a, as a designer. 
how do you keep motivated and inspired to sort of keep doing the work that you're doing? Well, one of the things that I do is I like to spend some time just taking photos. So I like taking photos of just architecture in general here in Atlanta or one of our mm-hmm. travel, just taking pictures of just people and just sort of like look at the lens of what life looks like in different aspects, you know, just by taking mm-hmm. photos. Also enjoy spending time doing some interior design work. So I've been actually renovating my home. So just spending time looking through some some of the great hotel design books, those sorts of things. I always had this thing about boutique hotels and sort of uh, their approach to creating like themed uh, spaces. So I'm trying to create that sort of sensibility for my own space. So when you come to my house, it's something fun and engaging when you come to my house. So those are the kind of things I enjoy doing. It's interesting. There's a lot of designers that we've talked to that have photography as sort of a secondary interest. I find that very interesting because personally, I i mean, I'm not going to say I hate photography. I don't want to say that, but I'm not the best photographer. <laughs> so it's so interesting that there are a lot of people. I guess it's about just capturing a particular moment through your lens. You know, maybe it's more of an artsy, like art direction type of thing. Right. Yeah, well, yeah definitely. Who's offered you some of the most useful career advice? With photography, you mean some great career advice with that? Well, no, well, no we'll say with, uh, with design. Some great career advice with design? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Okay, let's see. All right. So great career advice with design. I would say be open, open your perspective. I would say explore, try different things. So you don't become, I say, a one trick pony. You don't don't want to be known as that person who just does only that one thing. You want to open yourself up to learn different techniques, different styles, different methods, different approaches. If you can, go travel. If you can, definitely travel somewhere abroad. Get a cheap ticket. Go stay at a youth hostel or something. I did that when I was at Norfolk State. Went to Paris for like a week with a couple of friends. And I almost didn't want to come home because I just had such a wonderful time being there because it's different from my own culture. So if you can, the biggest thing I said, just get out, travel, explore, take risks, and just don't be afraid. Is there anyone or anything that might have stopped you from really realizing your full potential as a designer? No one has really stopped me from this. If anything, I've had a lot of cheerleaders to help propel me to be successful, whether it's through my parents, from being in understanding business, whether it's my professors who recognize the skills that I had to help me hone in my craft even more. So if anything, everyone has been very supportive and very helpful. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk more about you as a person. I mean, we've talked a lot about your design career and things like that. Do you have any plans coming up this summer? Well, I'm planning to take a little vacation over to Key West at the end of July, just to kind of get away a little bit. I love to go snorkeling and I like to bar hop. (laughs) So me and a few (laughs) friends are going to go there for a weekend. That's pretty much what I have planned because I just got back from China. So I kept saying, you know, where else I want to go next? And so I definitely want to do maybe Italy. So that might be next year. So I can okay. save it for that. So no real big plans other than just Key West. So you've done a lot of travel. If you had to live somewhere else besides here in Atlanta, where do you think it would be? Oh, man. Well, I looked at Chicago. I love the Windy City. Definitely love New York. I would totally do China, either Beijing or Shanghai. Mm-hmm. I could do London. So I could pretty much go anywhere, to be honest with you. I mean, even some countries I've never even thought about. Because I know myself, I just have an open mind, so I'm open to anything. 
Are there any places that are sort of on your travel wish list? Travel wish list. Italy's on my travel wish list. I definitely love to go to Africa. And I definitely love to go to uh, South America. Where in South America? Oh, you could go for the Olympics. You go to Rio in 2016. You know, I could. That is true. <laughs> I thought about Colombia. I actually have a lot of coworkers from Colombia who work here within in the office, and they always tell me how beautiful it is. So I thought about mm-hmm. going there, and then definitely have coworkers from Brazil. That's another place that would just go to maybe um, go to Rio or something like that. Are there any current designers or artists whom you admire, like the work that they do? The work that they do today? Okay, I would say I admire a lot of my coworkers here in the office because they all bring such a wealth of knowledge and talent to solving things in a different way. So mm-hmm. I admire those who I work around with. In terms of some design greats, I think Gail Anderson is one of my favorites. Another one of my favorites is Frank Gehry in the architecture realm. I would say maybe in fashion design. I love a little bit of fashion. I like to sort of bring that into uh, some things that I do, kind of, you know, take a different approach with things. And sort of sort of helped me. And I guess with the design, like you said, you're also doing some interior design and things like that. If you weren't doing what you're doing now as an art director, senior art director, I should say, what do you think you would be doing? What do you think you're your passions would take you? I'll probably be a chef because I love food. I love to try different restaurants. So uh, one of my favorite restaurants in Atlanta is Empire State South. And well, I think the thing I love about them is they always have these things called in jars and they have like a, a pimento cheese with bacon. And I can't remember the sauce that they use, but it's, it's like a little sweet sauce, kind of nutty. It was really good. And so I just raved about it so much that they actually gave me a whole big jar to take home. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I nearly killed that thing. So, I mean, I just love really great food. Any uh, music you're enjoying these days? I love house. So I'm going to go in Chicago pretty soon here for uh, the house music event that they have there every year. Uh, then also mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, I usually go maybe like once a month or every other month. Uh, some of the house music events here are used around every Labor Day is the big house music in the park here at Grant Park in Atlanta that I usually uh, invite a bunch of friends. And so this year I'm inviting a lot more of my coworkers because I, I took some last year. They had such a blast and, they, and everyone off was like, well, you should take us because we would take pictures and everyone have so much fun. So I'm a man of just house music and just getting my soul on. Okay. Are you where you wanted to be at this stage in your life? Am I- Do you feel like creatively fulfilled with, with what you're doing? You know what? I think I learn so much every day. I just get excited where it's going to take me next. And sometimes I do reflect and I'm really thankful for the opportunities that I have had. And, you know, just blessed to you know have such a wonderful career and just to learn so much from so many different people. Where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? I definitely see myself probably um, continue to work in, in the global space of design. So not just working in North America, somehow just working across geographies. I've always had a fascination with working in, with, uh, within other uh, countries and sort of see how design sort of permeates in different cultures and what it mm-hmm. means to different cultures. And so I definitely see myself in the digital space too as well and as a consultant. I've always loved that. I'll always love solving problems and just looking at things differently. Now, you said that when you were over in China that there were sort of some different ways that they approach design. What are some of those? What are some of those ways? Well, some of the ways they approach design. Well, one of the things that I've noticed, like in advertising, it's sort of similar to what we do over in the West. 
And so when it comes to digital design, what's interesting to me is how they sort of re- approach responsive design because of the character limitations. I mean, let's face it, we probably have more characters than there is in, chi- in Chinese. And so they're able to do a lot more in mobile design than we could even possibly think of. So I really get fascinated with with how they create all these different mobile sites, you know, over in China. And I guess lastly, just to sort of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Um, you can definitely find me on Twitter. It's uh, A-W-H-I-T-L-E-Y-J-R, or you can email me at awhitleyjr at gmail, and you can also find me on LinkedIn, Albert Whitley. All right, sounds good. Albert Whitley, thank you again for taking time out for this interview. I think... A lot of what you said, not just about, you know, diversity and what, you know, people can do with AIGA, but just your whole design career and the things that you mentioned was really, really good information to share. So thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Albert Whitley and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, MailChimp and Audible. MailChimp's easy-to-use platform lets you send beautiful and functional email campaigns to your customers and your friends. Sign up at MailChimp.com today and get a free account. Speaking of free accounts, you can also head over to audibletrial.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and sign up for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. With over 150,000 audiobooks in their library, you'll definitely find something that you're looking for. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're providing with the podcast and the website, head on over to tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and show your support. We're in the middle of our fundraising drive. We want to raise $200 this month, and with your help, we can definitely make that happen. Sign up for as little as $5 per month for special behind-the-scenes access, sponsor an upcoming episode for $20, or leave us a tip in our tip jar. Every little bit helps, and it helps us with editing audio and providing you with more original content. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.